0: So we are continuing this message series that we started uh, several weeks ago as we start looking at the idea of being a fan of Jesus or being a follower of Jesus. And we uh, started several weeks ago just talking about how we, it's easy to fall into being a fan of Jesus, being somebody just uh, an enthusiastic admirer, somebody who knows about Jesus, who, who cheers on everything that Jesus does and and even shows up, but yet keeps Jesus at a safe distance, right and we know what being a fan is like. I mean sometimes you know again we, we we kind of watch from a distance we we know and and but then the question comes, are we going to stick to being a fan even when hard times come and and as we know, even in the sports context as we watch our teams play, you know sometimes they don't do quite so well like our team did yesterday. And, and, and we have to question, are we going to stick with them? Are we going to still be fans? Are we going to, you know, get, get with them through the hard times? And, uh, you know, in that, and again, I hope we do, but yet we also saw as we started that Jesus looked at the crowds of people following him, right? And he, he kind of um, gave them a fan or follower test and saying, you know, fans, this is, a lot of you are fans, and this is what fan does, but, but I want you to be a follower, Right? And as we saw in the first week, and through a lot of them did not pass the fan or follower test. Right? In fact, they saw that and saw what was involved in being a true follower of Jesus. And a lot of the crowd said, you know what, that's just too far for us. And they walked away. I mean, the challenge for us as we examine, again, what it looks like to be a true, deeply committed follower of Jesus is are we going to continue to move forward in our faith journey are we gonna, um, again, live into everything that Jesus invites us to? Because Jesus invites us to be a deeply committed follower of his. Right? Our theme for this series is this, this invitation that we see in Luke nine twenty three, right? When Jesus says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Again, Jesus tells us, The whole whole story up front, there is no fine print, there's nothing that we get, you know, that we didn't know about before we got in. He tells us from the very beginning, if you want to be my follower, right, there is work to be put in, there are sacrifices that will have to be made, right, again, everybody's welcome to be my follower, but if if you do, you will give up your own way, right, you will take up your cross, and you will make that decision daily, right, if you follow me. Again, as we look at the, the original uh, audience of this invitation, this crowd, they knew what a cross was. They knew what it meant. Right? And they knew what Jesus was asking of them. And as we look at that invitation today, right, I want to go beyond that invitation. Take one step back from the invitation and say, why would we want to do that? Right? Why would we make that sacrifice? Why would we die to ourselves? on a daily basis, why would I make that choice over and over again every day as I journey towards Christ? Right? Why would I make that choice? And as we ask that question, why would I step into that? Okay, um, keep this in mind. Is it about religion or is it about relationship? Okay, keep that in mind. Is it about religion or is it about relationship? Okay, because those are very different things. Okay, again, our world, we have several religions in our world, right? And yet, Christianity is set apart from every other world religion, right? In that it is not a religion at all. It is about a relationship. Okay, Jesus invites us into, to be deeply committed followers of him. He is inviting us into a relationship. And yet we don't have to do anything to earn that love or to earn that relationship, and that is what, again, sets Christianity apart from other world religions, right, is we don't earn it, right? Jesus freely gives us that invitation, and that yet we then just have to accept that invitation. But again, is it religion or relationship? Keep that in mind. It, our, our text for today, as we examine why would we um, accept this invitation from Jesus, is going to be in John chapter 7, verse 53 through eight eleven. And so I invite you to open your Bible with me to John uh, chapter 8, and if you if you don't have your own Bible or you don't have it with you today, there are Bibles uh, available for you in the seat pockets, and I invite you to use one of those. You'll notice on the outline of the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles, um, but again, we're going to read today from uh, John 7.53 through 8.11, and that. Again, and keep this in mind, is it about religion or is it about relationship? So uh, John 7, 53, where it says, Then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. And Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and rode in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, as we read this interaction that Jesus has with this adulterous woman and with the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, okay, I want to ask, what was the real focus of this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees? Now, obviously, this was a setup. Okay, in fact, I mean, the this, this story tells us it was a setup. Okay, and from from the very first moment, there's kind of some red flags that pop up to say this was not just a normal situation. This was a setup for Jesus. Okay, number one is that this, this adulterous woman is brought and thrown down in front of Jesus as they say, we caught her in the act. Now, you and I both know that adultery is not something you can commit by yourself. But yet, they only bring her. And so they obviously had set her up along with Jesus. Okay, and as they bring her and they plop her down, and then, again, we, we know, again, their, their focus and their, their, their goal in this interaction. Okay, this woman was not the point. Again, she was a pawn, right, in this bigger plot. Okay, we also know that the rules were not the point. Again, they come and they properly address Jesus and say the law of Moses says this is what you do if you're caught in adultery, which is 100% true. Okay, but the rules were not the point either. Okay, they intended to catch Jesus in an indefensible place regarding the rules. They had purposely set up the situation to paint Jesus in a corner. Okay, and again, what does Jesus do When he's painted in a corner. Okay, because they plot the lady down, they give him the rules, and then they wait and they watch. And they say, Jesus, how are you going to get out of this one? Okay, the point of this situation, again, was them to set up Jesus. And and again, um, if the focus is the rules... Okay, in this situation, the focus was the rules, and Christianity, just like any other religion in this world, can easily slip into being a set of rules. And again, when we look at this set of rules, again, we can, we can, um, you know, kind of melt it down to like, here's the set of do's and don'ts. And in fact, we kind of like it that way, right? Because if it's just a list of do's and don'ts, then I know what I can do and what I can't do, right? And to say, well, if I do this, then I get that. And that that's very simple to understand, right? But yet, if it's not about the rules, if it's not about religion, then it's a lot more messy. It's a lot more gray area, All right? It's a lot more, how does this really work? It's very easy for Christianity, just like any other religion, to just be reduced to a list of rules however this can be a problem because if we focus on a list of rules then it's really easy to be a fan right and and when we look at this list of rules is does this even present the whole truth of the gospel message right the the reality is it doesn't because again jesus does not invite us into a list of rules jesus invites us into a relationship Hey, and, and when we look at that, again, where, what road does it take us down if we reduce Christianity and Jesus' invitation to a list of rules? Well, um, there has been this, this really hard trend to watch within American Christianity within the last decade. Hey, and that the decade of that is the fact we've been watching our kids and our teenagers walk away from the church, Okay, in, in, in huge numbers. Yeah, I tell you, as many of you know, I spent many, many years doing youth ministry before I came to leave this church. And, and as a part of, again, youth ministry, as, as a leader in youth ministry, looked at this problem and said, why do teenagers seem to follow really well through their teenage years, but yet when they graduate high school, they end up graduating from their faith and they never look back? Hey, and, and again, myself as well as many leaders within youth ministry were looking at this problem and saying, what's the real problem? Hey, now, uh, in, there's been lots of studies and lots of theories and lots of things come out. Um, there, was, uh, um, there were two sociologists in 2005 that, that wrote a book that was based on a study okay, that they, they literally stepped back and said, okay, let's just step outside of the church culture and let's just observe this and see what's really happening because it's at epidemic levels. Okay, and then they published a book in 2005 called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And their conclusion from that study and the book that talks about their their findings, okay, was that the problem that we are facing is the fact that our American teenagers do not know anything about Jesus. Okay, and the way that they view Christianity, they, they said, they coined this phrase, moralistic, therapeutic deism. And that is the way that they view Christianity. And that's what they're walking away from. Okay, they're, they're walking away from moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, those are really big, scientific words, and so let me break them down for you. Okay, first, moralistic. Right, morals. Right, list of rules. Okay, behavior modification. They, they view, again, that the Christian culture is about changing their behavior. Okay, it's about a list of rules. Okay, therapeutic, right? That word, right, means that it makes you feel good. And so, again, they've defined the point of being in church and of following Jesus is to make me happy. And then the word deism, right, is connected to deity, meaning that God is involved in this process. And so what they are, they're learning from the Christian culture in America, right, is that God is exists to give me a list of rules, and if I follow those rules, I will be happy. But therefore, if I'm not happy, right, then something's gone wrong, which means that God is wrong. And so, as they said, they, they are defining Christianity. That's what they're picking up from what we're teaching them, okay, is that Christianity is about moralistic, therapeutic deism. Okay, now here's the problem with that, right, is if Christianity gets, you know, um, boiled down to the fact of a list of rules, and if I follow the rules, I'm happy, and if I don't follow the rules, I'll be miserable, right, the problem is the focus becomes the rules, okay, and, and as we all know, rules can be very cumbersome, okay, which means, again, they deduct from what we've been teaching them as, a, as an American Christian culture, right, is that, that rules kind of stink, right, because that means they don't see them as, as a list of rules that will make me happy. They see them as a list of things that I miss out on, right, and they look at all the rest of culture and all of society and saying, well, they, you know, if all that God is supposed to make me happy, and even if my father was, I'm still not happy, so I might as well walk away from it all, because it looks like they're happier than I am. Right? The rules can be incredibly cumbersome. In fact, we see this happen in exactly in this story. I mean, it's the point of why these religious leaders set up this woman and set up Jesus in the first place, right? Because they brought him the rules. Right? Again, it says they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Again, the Pharisees and the the religious leaders, they knew that the rules were cumbersome. They knew that they could paint Jesus into a corner pretty easily, right? And that's exactly what they did. Now, again, they bring it to Jesus um, with that cumbersome, and Jesus does not react the way they expect him to. Now, one of the problems with moralistic, therapeutic deism is that constantly striving to live up to a high standard of rules, we naturally associate those rules with being a Christian. Which means being a Christian reminds us about the rules and how you need to live up to them and how you will always fall short. And the longer we live trying to to live to this, this high moral standard, the more exhausted we get. And the more exhausted we get, then the first chance we have to run to something different, we take it. Right? And the conclusion of their study that they wrote in the book was that teenagers are not really walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from an exhausting list of rules. And if the rules don't make me happy, then there's no point of even trying. Is it religion or is it relationship? Right? And unfortunately, there's a whole generation in America that believes it's just a religion. And now not only that, but they also found that the teens learn more by watching and following the example and the lifestyle of the authority figures in their life than they do from hearing things. Again, this is something we already know, right? We, we learn by experience, not by knowledge. And again, we can learn by knowledge, we can hear, but again, lectures only take us so far. Right? But again, they and uh, again, we then we wonder why um, they don't like authority figures. right But yet they grew up right hearing authorities authority figures say one thing and do something different. But right? in fact, we see again, the rules can, continue to demand an answer and that's exactly what happens in the next verse, right in this story it says they kept demanding an answer. But right? again Jesus, um, as he, Walks through and, and lives out this situation, this corner that he's painted in, he doesn't do what they expect. Right? And they just keep demanding an answer. And so then he stood up and he addresses them again and says, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Again, Jesus doesn't change the rules. Right? Jesus never denies, right, that that, that she was in adultery. He never denies her sin. He never denies the rules themselves, but yet he just tells them, he says, well, if you are going to follow through with what the law says, then you have to throw the stone. And if you throw the stone, then you are admitting, or at least telling everybody in this crowd, that you have never sinned. right? And so he is openly calling them out in front of this entire thing. and saying, I dare you to be a hypocrite. Okay, and, and again, he, he, now, in the scripture, it, the scripture does not tell us what he was writing in the dust. Right? It just says that he was writing. Now, again, I wish it would tell, because I really want to know what Jesus was writing. Okay, now again, there's lots of ideas, and a lot of Bible scholars, there's all kinds of ideas about what's going on. Now, uh, you know, about what he was writing, what it was, whatever it was, okay, it was effective in them realizing about their, their own sin. Because what's the effect Right, of Jesus throwing this out, this, this public dare, right, to be a hypocrite in front of the whole crowd, right, and, and then you notice it says that they all, just one by one, from oldest to youngest, they started dropping their stones and slipping away. Again, I like to think that Jesus was writing the names of everybody who had committed adultery with that woman. Again, I have no idea. That's my idea. That's not scripture. Don't, don't, don't quote that. That's, that's what I think would have been awesome. If that's what Jesus was doing. Right, again, I've kn- we don't know what he was writing. Right, but at the same time, again, he writes it and they start to slowly leave. Right, again, um, as we realize this challenge, right, then we, we find the problem with the rules. Right, again, not only are rules cumbersome, right, but again, as Jesus challenges them with the rules and saying, okay, if you're going to uh, enforce the rules, then you better be living up. Righteously yourself. And obviously they weren't because they dropped their stones and they left. Okay, but not only are the rules cumbersome, but also the rules don't inspire grace. Right, because why did Jesus come? what was the point of his ministry. He came to change the rules. But right? just as we read in the scripture about communion today, right, it says that his blood has um, sealed the new covenant, right? And that is a covenant of grace and of mercy, right, and of of salvation that is not upon ourselves, that he paid our price. Right, and the problem with the rules is they don't inspire grace. And yet that's exactly what Jesus came to give. Notice, again, how does this story conclude in verses 10 through 11? He says, then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Again, you could just imagine this scene, right, is that this woman has probably, you know, just been huddled up in a ball, you know, dying in her own sin on the ground, completely ashamed. And yet she probably had no idea what was going on around her, right, until Jesus addresses her, right, and say, hey, where are your accusers? And I can just imagine her looking up and looking around for the first time and realizing that they had all left, right? And then she replies to him and says, no, Lord. You know, that none of them have condemned me. Right, and then Jesus replies to her with this incredibly grace-filled response when he says, neither do I. Because guess what? There was one person in that crowd who could have rightfully thrown a stone at her. And that person was Jesus. Because again, what's the standard he gave? He says, anybody who is without sin can throw the first stone. Guess who was the only one in that crowd without sin? Jesus. But again, he didn't change the rules. Right? He didn't deny her sin. right? But yet he gave her an incredibly grace-filled statement when he says, neither do I. That is an incredibly loving, merciful, grace-filled powerful statement by our Savior. Neither do I. But notice, he forgives her, right? But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't condemn her, but then he says, now you've joined the journey. Now it's time to get serious about your faith because I'm not interested in fans. And he tells her from there, he says, then go and sin no more. Follow my example. Right? I'm already living this example. Follow it. Is it religion or is it relationship? I mean, a fan looks at this situation and says, I don't want any handouts. I can handle it on my own. And then fans end up spending their lives carrying around the burden of religion. But the grace of Jesus, the same grace that saved this woman from being stoned, calls to those who have been hauling around a long list of rules and rituals and obligations. And Jesus calls to those who are tired of pretending. And he tells them, neither do I condemn you. He calls those that have had the guilt and the fear of religion wearing them down. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Again, I don't know what your journey looks like, and I don't know if maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught all about Jesus. You went to church on the weekend and a church camp in the summer, and maybe you learned to fear Jesus, so you kept as many rules as you could, hoping that you wouldn't go to hell. And when you did sin, you would carry that guilt with you, wondering if you would ever be good enough. And you were taught to observe different religious traditions and rules. But someone possibly who had never really fell in love with Jesus. And you slipped into being a fan. Because when you come into a situation in which the rules take precedence over love and grace, it's hard to fall in love. It's hard to fall in love when the focus is the rules. You know, when you think about this this relationship that Jesus invites us in, the, the the picture that Scripture uses between us and our Creator so many times in this loving relationship is a, is an earthly marriage. Right? And when you think about an earthly marriage, and you think about yeah, you know, we know what what you do when you get married. You stand up in front of all your families and friends, and and in front of a pastor, right? And you make vows, you make commitments, you commit to Live by the rules. But again, you, I, again, when I stood up and I married Maureen, I, was, I vowed to be faithful to her. As long as we both will live, I'm going to be hers and hers alone. Right? I vowed to provide for her, to doing anything I had to do to meet her needs. Right? I vowed to be committed to her for better or for worse. Right? And there were some other rules that I committed to on that day that I didn't know yet. Like, I didn't know that I was vowing to do the dishes and to clean up the kitchen after dinner. Right? I didn't know that I was vowing to text her when I'm on my way home, especially if I'm going to be late. Right? And I didn't know that I was vowing to always put my shoes in my cubby in the mudroom. There there are rules, again, that come out later and deeper in the relationship that I didn't know about. Right, again, but why am I willing to do those things? Because I love her. Because I fell in love with her before I took those vows. Right, and the more that I I am committed to her and the deeper relationship we go, the more I love her. Right, and because of the relationship, right, we make each other better people. Right, And, and because of the relationship, I keep my commitments, and I keep my vows, and I willingly live according to those rules. All of these don't look like a list of rules because of our relationship. I love my wife, and I'm willing and joyfully fulfill my commitments. Because I love her, and I know that she loves me, our relationship drastically changes my perspective. Is it religion or is it relationship? Okay, think about this as we hear from Kyle Eidelman this morning.
1: It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset, and concerned, because maybe a college-aged child or an adult child is no longer following Jesus. And the parents usually want to know what happened. They want to know what went wrong. That's a hard question to answer. There's a lot of different possibilities, but I I do my best just to listen to the story, to encourage them and to pray for their child. But not long ago, I was uh, speaking in Houston, Texas. And after I was done speaking, this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me, but he had, uh, had tears in his eyes. And he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter had left home and had walked away from her faith, was no longer following Jesus, but he didn't ask me what happened. He didn't seem to be looking for an explanation. In fact, with one sentence, he told me what he thought went wrong. He said, We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation? They give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, at church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules. be a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ.
0: We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Again, religion or relationship? See, and when we think about that, and again, just as as that man admitted, the problem with, the biggest problem with us focusing on the rules, okay, is the fact that the rules don't keep us around. If it's all about the rules, it won't keep us committed. It won't keep us moving, right? The rules don't keep us around. Again, I want to say this very clearly and very carefully. When our kids grow up and they define Christianity as keeping a moral code, instead of defining Christianity as being a follower of Jesus Christ, they will walk away from both of them if they grow up defining Christianity as a moral code instead of a relationship with Jesus, they'll walk away from Jesus and the moral code. Because the rules don't keep us around, but relationship does. If the rules don't keep us around, but the relationship does. If, if we fall deeply in love with Jesus, we can never go back. And no matter, you know, what happens, no matter what pulls the weight, no matter what we face, the, the love of Christ and our love for him, that deeply committed relationship will point us back to Jesus every time. We must define Christianity first and foremost as a relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot expect to recruit the world to a set of standards that we would never live or follow if it wasn't for a loving relationship with Jesus. Because they're not going to get on board with that unless it's because they know Jesus. Again, It needs to be first and foremost about falling deeply in love with our Savior because He loves us first. Again, when we fall deeply in love with Him, when we, we take that relationship seriously, when when we receive him as our Savior right, and open ourselves to that relationship, we join the journey with him, and that starts a journey. Right? And, and again, that starts a journey of us taking up our cross daily and walking with him and, and journeying forward in our faith and, and keeping our focus on Christ and the destination of our journey. Right? And we have to make that choice exactly like Jesus said, daily. Right, and we've got to continue to move forward with him. Right, and, that, and that's what um, Paul describes in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay, when he describes what happens after you accept Christ as your Savior. Okay, where He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And you notice, where does it start? It starts with giving our bodies to God because of all he's done for us. Guess what that describes? That describes a relationship. Because God loves me, just the way I am, I will love him back, right? And when I love him back, then it starts a transformation in my life, okay? And that, again, is a process and a journey that takes time. But the relationship has to come before the rules. Again, we cannot expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Okay, and that's the hardest part of, again, our core value, number four, right, about everybody's welcome. That's the hardest part of that core value. Because if everybody's really welcome, then we need to to know the way that non-Christians are going to act when they show up. Because they're non-Christians. Right, we can't just give them a list of rules and say, well, you're welcome if you do this. Because then you know what they hear? I'm not welcome. Right, but we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Because, again, we, so many of us have been walking with God for decades, and we're not done being transformed yet. And so we can't expect it to happen for them instantly. Again, loves us, God loves us exactly the way we are. He invites us into that relationship, but he loves us enough to not leave us the same. Right, and he expects us to be transformed. Right, for the way we think and the way we see the world to change. Right, that is what our journey is about. And that's the choice we make every day. Behavior will change as God transforms you and you journey towards Christ, but it takes time. Again, but the best witness we can have to this world is to show them what it looks like to be deeply in love with our Savior. What does a daily relationship look like? Again, when you think about that, I tell you, there's nothing I want more on this planet than for my kids to follow Jesus. Right? And yet, the best thing I can do to help my kids fall deeply in love with Jesus is show them what a deeply committed relationship with Jesus looks like. Because when they see me loving Jesus, right, they will follow what they see more than what I tell them. Right, which means the best witness we can have is to be a follower of Jesus and not a fan. Right, again, even if your kids have walked away, the best thing you can do is to show them now what it means to be a deeply committed follower of Jesus in a deeply committed relationship. Right, journey in your own faith. So that brings me then to my final thought this morning, and that is this. Jesus' invitation to follow him isn't about strict rules or behavior modification. It is about a deep, loving relationship with God. Is your faith journey transforming you? Because if you're following what Jesus calls us to, then you will be transformed. I will be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Is your journey transforming you? I hope it is. And I hope that you're falling deeply in love with him every day. And again, I don't know what your journey looks like. Maybe you're here today and you just need to accept Christ as your Savior and start that journey. Maybe you've been saved for decades. But no matter where you're at, again, you can journey closer to Christ. You can be more like him tomorrow than you are today. And that's the best thing we can do is to lead by example and lead our culture and our world closer to Christ. Lord God, we come to you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that you invite us, God, into a loving relationship with you. And God, we come to you, Lord, at the foot of your cross right now, and Lord, ask for your grace and your mercy. God, forgiveness for those times, Lord, that we have not presented you in the right way. And God, I pray, Lord, right now that your Holy Spirit, God, will continue to transform our hearts, God, in the lives of those, God, that need you. And God, I pray, Lord, that that we as individuals, God would would live out our faith God and to show the example of what it means to be deeply in love with you every day and God that your Holy Spirit God would work God in the lives of each one of us Lord and in the lives of our families God and our co-workers and our neighbors and those that see us in the community Lord that we would represent you in the right way and God we pray for your spirit God to again, to to overwhelm us in the way you did, this adulterous woman, God, that we would feel your grace today. God, and that you would continue to transform our hearts and our minds. God, and transform our families and transform our community. God, we praise you today that you love us. And God, we offer our love back to you. God, as we walk with you, not just this week, God, but as we walk forward from here, God, in a deeply committed, loving relationship with you, God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, guide us as we leave here today, God, that we will continue to be a light in this world. Lord, for who you are, for how much you love us. We love you. Guide us, Lord, as we leave and as we live out our faith every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.